God is so good. He's so good. If you have your Bibles, if you would open up to the book of Acts, the third chapter. I'm going to read the first five verses. You know, when I was with the bank, seems like eons ago, but I remember when we'd get new employees and we'd sit them down and we'd always we'd tell them what our expectations were. You know, this is my expectation of you, of what, you know, what you're to do on a daily basis, or, you know, you're <clears throat> maybe as parents, you sit down with your kids and you say, these are my expectations. You don't always follow them, so you got to repeat your expectations. But expectations is just something we live with in life. And tonight, I want to touch on expectations, spiritual expectations. Uh, and I'm going to speak from a topic that I've called a place called expectation. A place called expectation. So Acts 3, verse 1 through 5. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, and Peter, fastening his eyes, upon him with John said look on us verse 5 and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them expecting to receive something of them so if you put your Bibles down and pray with me once again, God, we come before the throne tonight, God. This is all about you. It's all about the glory, God, that you deserve. I pray your word goes out, God, and it changes and transforms us tonight, God. God, build our faith tonight, God. God, to be your children, God, in a mighty and powerful way. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church says, amen. Why don't you, uh, why don't you walk around and just say hi to one another briefly? When you get back to your seats, you can be seated. 
The operative word was briefly. <laughs> Amen. Good to be in the church of God tonight. Amen. Amen, amen. So, like it or not, we live our lives according to expectations. Those who believe their lives can be better generally make their lives better. Those who believe their lives cannot change typically remain the same. We plan and we act according to our expectations. A deer hunter, we're coming up to that season, a deer hunter will find a spot to wait for his prey in a place where he expects a deer to travel. A golfer, we've got a few golfers in here, a golfer will look down the fairway, pick out a spot 200 yards ahead, and expect to hit the ball there. More often than not, that doesn't happen. If you expect something to happen, you will move in that direction. Expectation sets the wheels in motion. I'll give you an example of that. Second, uh, Second Chronicles 7 and 14, a verse we all know so well. If my people who are called by my name, right, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So if my expectation is that God will hear from heaven, right, forgive my sin and heal my land, then there are certain actions that I must take, right, like humbling myself, praying, right, seeking his face and turning from my wicked ways. Our expectations should propel us to take certain actions. And I want to show how this plays out tonight in our opening scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter and John go up to the temple at the ninth hour, and to give you some context of what that is like, I actually did a little bit of research on this gate beautiful, so you get four minutes of teaching from me. Um, so the, the Jews would come to the, there was a huge wall that would go around the temple mount area, and they would come to the southern wall, and uh, they would climb up these steps, and they could enter into the temple proper area by going into a double gate or a triple gate. So they would go into one of those two gates, and they would go down a long corridor, and when they got to the end of the corridor, there were steps that would go right up to the Temple Mount platform where the temple was. And the minute they stepped out onto that platform, they were in the court of the Gentiles. In the court of the Gentiles, anybody could go in that court. Anybody could hang out there. It was totally fine. And so that they would then walk towards the temple itself, and the first set of gates you would see would be gates that you would step into the court of women. And so that was as far as the women could go. If you walked through that court of women, then you would come up to these round circular steps that kind of look like half, a half circle, and they would go up, 
and you would be standing right before the Nicanor Gate. And that was the gate that you went in, only the men went into to go in, and then you would go into the main temple area. And what's cool about that is these doors, which is what the gate beautiful is, these doors were covered in silver and gold. Beautiful doors. The door stood 75 feet high at 50 wide, 50 feet wide. It would take 20 men to open and close the gates. So they were huge. Um, just as a side note, I had read somewhere that during the Roman siege in 70 AD, before the temple was completely leveled and destroyed, the gates opened all by themselves. And the Jews said that was a sign that God was leaving the temple. So, interesting side note. So Luke tells us that Peter and John come to the temple in the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And David wrote these three different hours of prayer in Psalm 55, 17. He said, evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So the third hour of prayer was at 9 o'clock in the morning. The sixth hour of prayer was at noon. And then the ninth hour of prayer which is talked about here, was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the ninth hour of prayer came just before the evening sacrifices. So this was the busiest time of prayer. Everybody went to the ninth hour of prayer. That's when you would see the greatest attendance. And thousands and thousands of Jews would make their way to the temple for prayer and sacrifices. Now Acts 3 and 2 says, A certain lame man, man lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. So here we're introduced to the lame man. But more than just being lame, the Bible says he's been lame since birth. He's a man that as a child could never stand. He could never walk. He could never run. He could never play ball with all the other boys. As a child, his parents had to carry him everywhere, and now, as a man, his friends had to carry him to the temple daily. The Bible tells us in Acts 4 and 22, you don't have to go there, um, that this man was over 40 years old. So it's likely that he had been carried every single day to the temple for well over 20 years. And uh, he was carried there so that he could beg for alms. And if you think about it, there wasn't a day in his life where he didn't have to depend on someone else to get from A to B. That's a pretty rough life. And I wonder how many times, I started thinking about this, how many times Peter probably passed this man at the gate beautiful during the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus would go to the temple with the disciples. And so how many times did, you know, did Peter throw a coin in the cup or whatever, you know. How many times did he actually pass? Uh, Matthew 21 and 14 uh, actually says that Jesus went in during the end of his ministry. It says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So many had been healed, but yet here sits this lame man. So this lame man is laid at a specific spot daily at the gate beautiful. And when you panhandle for a living, your spot 
is extremely important. The best spots are hard to come by, and this man obviously over the course of 20 years had kind of moved up the corporate ladder of alms begging and had finally made his way to the Gate Beautiful, which is where everybody went into. He would sit there as the faithful went in and out, and there was no better place to be if you were looking for a little, little charity. The layman had expectations. He expected money. He expected food. He expected some kind of handout. His expectations caused him to be carried to the gate beautiful each day. His expectations caused him to carry a bucket and lay it down in front of him. His expectations produced certain actions. Again, if you are expecting something to happen, you will take certain actions toward that wanted outcome. If you don't believe or expect anything, then guess what? You'll do nothing. You just won't do anything. Our actions are a dead giveaway to our expectations. I didn't highlight that, but that is pretty good. Our actions are a dead giveaway to our expectations. Amen? In Mark 5, we read about the woman with the issue of blood, and she's been sick over 12 years, and the doctors can't do anything for her. And someone must have told her about Jesus and his healing power. Someone had to be bragging on Jesus and telling her about Jesus coming to town that day and that she needed to go see him. The woman had expectations when she showed up that day and saw the large crowd. She went because she was fully expecting to receive something. She got on her hands and knees and crawled through the crowd to touch the master. She had an expectation. If I touch Jesus, he'll heal me. Right? We know how it ended. Jesus said to her in Mark 5 and 34, and he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. She had an expectation when she went to go find Jesus. She literally crawled all the way there through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment because her expectation was if she could touch him, she'd be healed. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to receive power. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. We've heard this, right? Okay, make sure you're awake. He said, don't go anywhere. Hang out. Hang out there in Jerusalem and wait for the promise. The disciples had expectations. They waited. They went to the upper room and they started a prayer meeting. People that expect something to happen have a prayer life. People that don't expect anything to happen, don't. Pretty simple. We know what happened. The Holy Ghost fell on them, and Peter took the prayer meeting outside to the public. And that grisly, unpolished, grade school dropout got up and started preaching. Why? Because he had something to say and expected something to happen. Acts 2, 38 through 40 we know this well. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and unto your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. 
And with many other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. 3,000 people believed him. 3,000 people responded and acted on what they heard. 3,000 people had high expectations and were born again. When you take action based on your expectation, I'll get there. Acts 3, 3 through 4, it says, picking up the story, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. There's so much commotion, so many people going around. Peter's like, look at me. Look in my eyes. The lame man asking for alms from Peter and John. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's how he made a living. So he could kind of look at them, and then he kind of looked off to, hey, you, hey, hey, you, hey, good to see you. Come on over. Give me. Peter's like, no, look in my eyes. Look in my eyes. There was nothing wrong. Almsgiving was a very natural thing at the gate beautiful. In fact, it was a, a strong Jewish tradition. In Deuteronomy 15.11, it says, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, to your needy in your land. So here he is. Hey, this is what the Torah says. Come on. He's got his cup out there. It was a constant custom that went on. Peter looks at this lame man. The Bible says he fixes his eyes on the man. Peter wants his full attention. And it's there. The only, there's only one other time you see this word, fixing eyes. And it's when Jesus was ascending to heaven and the disciples were watching him. It's the only time in Scripture that word is used. It is a very, like a laser-like focus. And Peter and John are standing there, and the lame man is just looking past Peter and John, trying to catch others' attention. And the lame man has given them a glance, and after catching their uh, attention, expects, expects to receive money. But at the same time, continues speaking to others. And Peter, again, asks this man for his full attention. Faith always demands full attention. If you're down here and you're going to pray with somebody, and maybe you're not sensing that they've got a lot of faith, and they're looking around, what do you say? Look at me. Look at me. Don't get distracted by everything else. Look right at me. Faith demands attention, full attention. And that's exactly what Peter and John do. And this is where the story gets interesting in verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And with their eyes locked on each other, the lame man asked Peter for alms, expecting to receive something. But verse 5 is the, is the verse that you want to highlight, because that spot, that spot that that, lamb, that lame man chose that spot where he had his cup was his place of expectation. That was the place where he expected to receive something. Little did he know he was going to get a whole lot more than what he was expecting. He was asking for mercy in the form of cash, and he was about to receive grace in the form of healing and salvation. 
Isn't that how grace comes? It's never what you think it will be. Right? Ephesians 3 and 20. Now to him who is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask, or what? Think according to the power that works in us. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And it's here, a lame man sitting in his place of expectation that Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold. I don't have any of that. Imagine that. That lame man's eyes are locked on Peter. He feels like he's going to score big. Him and Peter are like, they're looking at each other. He's got his cup out. The lame man's place of expectation to him was turning into a place of disappointment because Peter didn't have any silver or gold. But Peter continues, let me tell you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man had never walked before. He didn't have any clue how to walk. What are you saying? Walk? Really? Never done that before. But this is what Peter tells him what to do. And it seems a little bit cruel to say that to a lame man unless you possess the power and the name to command him to walk. Peter was operating under the full authority and power of the name of Jesus. When you combine, hear me now, when you combine the authority and power of the name of Jesus with an atmosphere of expectation, God's attracted to that. God is very attracted to that. I promise you, you have gotten his attention. There's a spiritual synergy that begins to swirl. And the name of Jesus and expectation is an invitation for the Shekinah glory of God to fall and the atmosphere to change in this place. We are children of the King. We have power and we have authority. And when we have expectation combined with that, man, God just moves right in this place. I I love praise and worship. When we praise and we worship God, we're telling him how awesome he is, how great he is. And it just, it stirs that atmosphere up. Because we believe that, right? Come on now, I'm not convinced. We believe that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Acts 3 and 7, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. There's a spiritual principle here that I I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything, remember this. Expectation always results in impartation. I'm going to say that again. Expectation always results in impartation. Right? Jesus said if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed Right? I'll do it. I'll do it. Expectation always results in impartation. We can't just believe only after the things have happened. We got to believe it before it happens. Right? When we go pray with somebody, right, we just, 
say the prayer, and then if it happens, oh, yeah, that was God. No, I believe it's going to happen as we're praying right now. I believe God's going to answer what I'm speaking into the atmosphere right now. And if we can just combine our faith together, because you already have the power and authority in the name of Jesus, right? I think I'm just going to say that until I take my last breath. We have the power and authority of Jesus Christ. We should be able to walk and just speak those things. But we have to have an attitude of expectation. You say it and you don't think it's going to happen? I'm just saying it. Come on. I'll leave that alone. God wants us to expect miracles. He wants us to expect that he will do the impossible for us. So what do we learn from this? Verse 5, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from man, from them. The lame man sat in a place of expectation. He had positioned himself expecting to receive something. What if I came to the house of God expecting to receive a blessing? What if I positioned myself in a place called expectation where anything was possible? What if I could position myself in a place expecting a miracle? Anybody need a healing in here right now? Come on now. Amen. What if I could position myself in a place expecting blessing? What if I could position myself in a place expecting a new start? Anybody looking for a job? What if I could position myself in a place expecting forgiveness? What if I move from where I am now to a place called expectation? Let me read Ephesians 3 and 20 again. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. God bases my blessing on what I ask or think. It's not just some random choice by God. It's not, he's not drawing straws or rolling the dice. It's not wheel of fortune. I get to decide my level of change that I expect. I get to decide the level of, based on what I expect. Think about that. Once I decide that things are going to get better, right, I need to expect, because if I think they're just going to stay the same, they're just going to stay the same. Your expectation drives that. Once I discern that I am not going to remain in my troubles anymore, once I believe that God's going to answer the problems that I have, he's going to help me out. Now, I don't have all the timing stuff down, right? The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Remember, Bishop said it all the time. We just deliver the mail, right? We don't, we don't write the contents inside. We don't always know when God's going to do it, but I know he's going to do something, right? I know he's going to answer in some way. I remember years ago, I was praying with somebody, and we prayed, and nothing happened, and nothing happened. I think, uh, I can't remember what it was for, but it just didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, something happened, and he said to me, well, that's not what I wanted. (laughs) 
it, it change happened, but it wasn't the way he wanted it. But then several years after that, a whole bunch of circumstances took place, and he wound up being more blessed. Right? You just got to expect God to do what God can do. That's what you need to do. Let him handle the circumstances, the timing. And I get it. We don't always understand the, the timing behind things, but he knows. When we start trying to figure it out, then it becomes less about him. Woo. Amen. Amen. When Goliath stepped out on the battlefield, the Israelite soldiers thought, he's too big, we can never kill him. A little boy named David thought, he's so big, I can't miss. The soldiers were standing in the valley of doubt. David was standing in a place of expectation. It's all about what you expect. Abraham's expectations caused him to leave his hometown and go searching for a city whose builder and maker was God. Noah's expectations caused him to obey God and build an ark, and it saved his family during the flood. Zacchaeus heard Jesus was coming to town, and his expectations caused him to climb up a tall tree so that he could see Jesus, and in the end, Jesus went to his house. Rahab's expectations caused her to hang a long scarlet rope out of the window on the wall of Jericho as a sign of her belief in Jehovah God, and it saved herself and her family. Peter's expectations caused him to step out of the boat as he was about to drown and walk on water towards Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus' expectations caused him to yell out, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus restored his sight and his soul. Every time I think of blind Bartimaeus, I think of Brother Mike, that play long ago. The expectations of 3,000 hearers on the day of Pentecost caused them to leave their customs behind, and they were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. It's all about what you expect. That's the power of expectation. Why is it so important? Why, why do we expect? Because of the one we put our trust in. The one who does the work. At a place of expectation, the sick are healed. At a place of expectations, demons are cast out. At a place of expectations, tumors are shrunk. At a place of expectations, deliverance takes place. At a place of expectation, marriages are restored. At a place of expectation, backsliders come walking in the door. At a place of expectation, the dead can rise. Anything can happen at a place of expectation. That's what this becomes at the end of our service when we have an altar call. You can be in your seats, but we encourage people to come up front. But the altar is a place of expectation. This is where we come and talk to God. This is where we pour our heart out to God. And say, God, I believe you can do it. I don't know when you'll do it, but I believe you can do it. 
I want to see more miracles in this church. I want to see more healings done. I want to see people walk in those back doors that look like they're tramps and they're, they've been bums. They've been out there. They come in here, and the minute they hit this carpet right here, the Holy Ghost just nails them, and they get filled with the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of the lame out in New Berlin right now, right? They don't need silver and gold. They need what we have right here. Hmm. Why don't you stand? there's anything I want you to leave with tonight, anything I said, because this was the burden as I was trying to put this together. We have the power, okay? That doesn't make us super special or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is when someone is struggling in the grocery store, and you, and you can see they're they're, they're hacking up a lung, and they're sick, and they just don't look good. We can go to them and say, in the name of Jesus, sickness come out. Right? I know you've done that before. You can go to the gas station. Doesn't matter where you're at. We need to be apostolic. Right? We need to be, we have the truth. I'm going to open this altar right now. It's Sunday night. But my God doesn't change. Whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Wednesday night, whether it's Sunday night, He is here tonight. And if you will have expectations, and you can cry out to Him whatever's going on in your life. Come up to this altar. Drop the veneer. Open your heart. Say, here's what I'm struggling with, God. Here's what I need. And I believe, God, that you will answer this prayer. I don't know what the answer would be, but I know you will answer it. Amen? I'm going to open this altar right now. I'm going to start praying. You can come forward. Lord Jesus, God, we know that you are your children. God, we know that you have put your Holy Ghost inside of us, God. God, we are part of the kingdom, and as kingdom children, we have power and authority. We can speak your name over situations. And God, help us, though, increase our faith. Help us in our expectation, wherever we're at. I believe, God, that we can speak to it, and it will happen in Jesus' name. So, God, I pray right now for those Those that are depressed right now, Lord God. Those that are fighting anxiety right now. In the name of Jesus, that spirit must go in them. God, I pray a refreshing come over them. A liberty of the spirit. God, for those that are fighting a cold or a sickness or bronchitis or some infirmary. I, I, I pray in the name of Jesus it must go in the name of Jesus and healing virtue would flow through their body, God, and there would be complete restoration in the name of Jesus. I believe it.
I receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, God, as we go out into the highways and byways. Help us that we have great faith, great expectation, because we know what you can do. Thank you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. And I'm going to see a victory.